that move through life and have opportunities to touch people's hearts and touch people's lives in ways that we can never fully imagine. Uh, some of you know that I've uh, had a series of funerals here lately, and I was at one yesterday out in West Loop. I know Bill and Heidi were out there, but it's just interesting to listen to the stories of ways that one person's life becomes a blessing to so many others. And it's, it's rather fascinating, and that's what Jesus has enabled us to, to uh, begin to experience um, as we journey through life, that, that each and every one of us have, have different roles or responsibilities in life. We have different jobs. We have different neighbors. We have uh, this unique network of the fact that we look to Christ to allow him to use us in a process of ministering uh, in so many different ways. The problem we often get into is we would like to be the one that closes the deal. We want to be the one that's there when they come to faith so that uh, we can get our points, I guess, or something like that, or at least uh, that experience of that blessing of that. But God's purpose and plan is that we will all be used together to accomplish His purpose and uh, ultimately His glory. But it's through the element of surprise that we need to consider as we look back in verse 35. John chapter 4 and verse 35. It's that element of surprise that keeps the journey of life fresh and unique. It's the journey of life, that, uh, that element of surprise, that gives you opportunities that may not typically take place in other settings. It's the element of surprise that God is the one moving the pieces together. He's pulling people together. He creates or, or utilizes experiences and circumstances so that you and I always have opportunities to be of influence to other people. Verse 35, do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. We have a tendency to uh, uh, think in terms, if we take that and ponder that for a moment, you would think that because it takes a certain amount of time for a crop to grow. You would think that harvest, well, that's what happens in the fall. And uh, that's perfectly uh, uh, normal for us to process that. And we tend to think, you know, when this person gets their act together and starts living a normal life, then they could be saved. None of us ever thought that before. If, if a person could get to a certain place where they're teachable and reachable and we have this mindset that somehow the ripe harvest is, is when you invite them to acknowledge Jesus and they say, I do, and yet the, the harvest has a lot more to do than closing the deal. It has to do with the influence we have in the four months of the growing stages. Quite often we don't think of evangelism as uh, those experiences that happen long before a person comes to faith. And yet, if you make someone a pie who's never had a pie before, you've got a listening ear. Uh, I was just told yesterday, somebody that reminded me, something I really did that impacted their life in a powerful way. And I said, what was that? He says, my dad left me years ago. He said, I remember a time when I was sharing something with you, and all you did was give me a hug. And I thought... Well, certainly I don't remember giving the guy a hug. But to him, 
That was a life-changing moment. And I thought, how powerful can something like that be? It's, we have no idea on the unique ways that we have touched people's lives equivalent to giving them a hug or be, giving them a listening ear or whatever it is in life that these are the, har- the harvest that comes before the official harvest. And that's what we think in terms of the ministry that Jesus was preparing his disciples for is to understand that we may not see or it may not seem like the harvest is there. He said, you don't have to wait for four months. He said, it's right there in front of us. And so we want to look at that. Uh, It's interesting when we drop down now to uh, uh, the end of the chapter there that others have done the hard work is the concept that we want to try to consider because the hard work really is most likely Jesus. I mean, think about it. If we're going to help anybody get to heaven, it's kind of hard to get them there if you don't have Jesus dying for their sins. The hard work is is the work that is behind the scenes quite often. You know, we think of even a meal this afternoon. The hard work is not me on the cleanup detail, that is sampling all the food. The hard work is somebody put a lot of time in the kitchen in preparing for that and setting it up and those kind of things. The hard work quite often in a church setting isn't necessarily preaching. It's all the things that you go through just to show up. When you think of the hard work, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of ingredients that go into the mix of the hard work behind life. We think in terms of of praying for each other's children. The hard work was for 18 years, you did a lot of things that were called hard work, and the pastor gets to say one message, and they come to faith. But you planted the seeds, the hard work, you invested their whole lives, the hard work is often the part that we don't necessarily think is, is, is part of the process. We, we sometimes uh, downplay the hard work of being an example and being consistent and being available and being supportive. We like to think it's all about the moment when they believe. Ultimately, that's our goal, our purpose, our intent. But the hard work is the Sunday school teachers who are down there training them at two years old long before they get to be adults and begin to respond to it. The hard work is the long, tedious work that goes on and on and on for years, investing in people's lives. Four months, the harvest comes around. Maybe it's 40 years that the harvest comes around. The hard work is somebody faithful, doing things day in and day out, week after week, month after month, year after year, there's the hard work. But we think in terms of the hard work, we realize that we could take a a time and kind of journey through the scriptures and identify several different contributing factors that play into the hard work of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But uh, uh, we'll simply skip over those because um, we're going to be here for quite a while today. The hard work. But what I want to say about the hard work that uh, Jesus has done, and maybe John the Baptist would be classified as the one who did the hard work, and then we reap uh, the fruit of that. The hard work is all the preparation that prepared for Jesus to come, and the message of the cross and the life he gave, and uh, so that the work could be done. Uh, the, the, the easy work, in sense, in contrast to that, is you and I are given a message and it's actually called good news for a good reason. 
It's good news because the hard work is done, and the good news is simply inviting people to come to the banquet feast and enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I are sent with a message that is intended to give people joy and peace and blessing in their life. The hard work has been done by Jesus Christ. Now, when we think in terms of hard work, though, no doubt that if you ever talk to people and share a little bit about what you do and you listen to what other people do, or maybe you just kind of meander through life and watch people work, particularly uh, maybe at a restaurant and they're making a huge killing about two bucks an hour and and they count on your tips and everything else. And you you see the people coming, carrying the dishes in and out, and you realize that's a tough job. Uh, The other day I went in to get a blood sample and I think of the, the hard work of somebody taking blood and I was just conversing and my wife says, I got a big mouth, I can hear, she can hear everything I say that she's over there in the other room and I'm talking about, you know, this kind of a job and everything else. I said, here's the hard challenge I want to give you. Don't tell me what you're going to do and don't let me see those needles. A nurse is a hard job. I was in there visiting somebody else. He's a friend of mine, Pastor Roland Cadle. If those of you that know Roland Cadle, and he's in the hospital for whatever he's doing. You can imagine being his nurse. I mean, Roland and I are, are two peas in a pod, you know, and we think in terms of the care that is given when we're not, uh, we don't handle pain well, and we, you know, those kind of things. It's hard work in a lot of jobs dealing with people. Those of you in social work know that that's hard work ministering to people. But it's interesting when you converse to people about their idea of hard work Everybody has a different kind of idea about what is real hard work and, and everything else that, that plays into that. So it's, it's kind of a term that is difficult to really grasp the hard work. We do mention that what Jesus Christ did, that's certainly hard work. But the hard work is something that sometimes, if we feel Jesus did all the work, and all you and I do is share good news... Welcome to reality. It's hard work, even sharing the good news. And it wasn't that Jesus is saying it's going to be an easy task. He's just reminding us that a lot of the work is a little bit more than asking somebody if they want Jesus and assuming they're all going to take it. Any one of us that has tried to not only minister to our own family members, let alone somebody that works with us in the workplace or a neighbor or a friend or even, you know, people that uh, you really want to share the good news with, you realize it is a lot of work in uh, presenting the message of life in a way that uh, um, ultimately has a way of making this great impact upon their lives. Um, Let's look at verse 35 again. Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I clearly remember, uh, um, this was quite a number of years ago, when somebody referred to this scripture and said, that isn't true. The fields aren't ripe. His conclusion was, I don't know of anybody that wants to hear the gospel. And maybe you've been there. You've been through those uh, times in your life where you wonder, 
What, what's happened to the harvest? Why is it seemingly difficult to find people that will listen to you at all about the gospel? And um, I, I don't know exactly what I told the individual at, at that particular time, but I have concluded as of now that my faith in Jesus and cherishing his finished work and living my life with the attitude, Lord, you can use me, you can send me, that I've discovered that I have seen a lot more of hope about the harvest than at any other time in my life. And I've realized that a lot of that has to do with some things I briefly mentioned is if we, we simply look at the harvest as bringing someone to the point of faith so that we can begin doing something with them, that's entirely different than to see an opportunity right there in front of you. That's all part of the harvest. Because one man sows and another man waters. And uh, so we realize that uh, in the planting sowing process, that the harvest is more than simply bringing somebody to a final decision. A lot of the work that happens is in the process of preparation. And those are some of the things I want to, uh, to consider when we think about uh, the task is because we might get the idea that someone else always does the hard work. Our job is easy. I've had many people that uh, over the years that have wanted to help out in, in ministry in the church. And, and um, I remember particularly a couple of them, I took them over to Pyramid and they said, well, that's, that's not for me. I want to work with people that are already saved. I said, well, there's hard work. And there's other work. I mean, everybody, uh, not everybody, but some would love to come up and preach in a church that's already there. You know, the idea of going out there and reaching people for Christ and then bringing them, that, that's an entirely different category. Uh, I'm a little upside down and weird. I, I, I appreciate you coming Sunday after Sunday, but sometimes I feel like, well, what could I say next? Because there's people here, no doubt. Your commitment to Christ and your journey to Christ, you probably know more than I do about what to preach but uh, my passion, uh, I, I guess because of my background, I, I find great joy in, in seeing one or two or a couple of people begin. It just lights up in their mind. Do you mean to tell me that Jesus could change my life? I mean, you got me then. As soon as I hear somebody begin to consider that concept, I say, Lord, that's why I went to Bible college right there, that moment. Just give me the grace to, to continue to press on so that they might come to this one moment in life where I can say, yes, he can. Um, but anyway, the hard work. It, there, there's nothing more uh, um, powerful, or, or you don't get more points when you get to heaven because you, quote-unquote, did the hard work versus the easy work. As a matter of fact, uh, the, the joy of, of, of being able to share your faith and see someone come to faith, that is its own unique uh, a golden opportunity in your life as much as it is to give them uh, a warm blanket, it's to give them a pie, it's to give them a hug, whatever it is, those are powerful moments in a person's life uh, because it's all part of the hard work. It's the task of ministering uh, to people. Um, some of the things that uh, Jesus shows a little bit by example in ministering to the woman of the well, uh, which might seem to be hard work, I'll simply mention the first thing that stands out is in, in chapter 4 and verse 4, he goes through Samaria. Now, that doesn't seem like hard work. As a matter of fact, if you were to get out your map or your GPS or your phone and you wanted to go from southern Israel to north, it would point you through Samaria. 
unless it was rigged by the cultural understanding that is you always go all the way around that place. It was the fact that the Samaritans, uh, they were considered to be not pure Jews. They were considered to be a mixed people groups. It, it was a kind of that, you know, you just don't hang with those kind of people. It's hard work sometimes to know that who you hang with, somebody's going to whisper. <laughs> it's, it's, hard to, it's hard work to accept the fact that sometimes God wants to use you in ways and among people that not other people feel comfortable ministering to. And we could, we could talk about the, the ways of illustrating it in a lot of different ways. There are places that are more applaudable than others. And there's people that are more applaudable. And on and on and on the list can go. It's hard work to know somebody is going to say something about what you do and where you go. But if you're going to reach out and be led by the Lord and be available to Him, you're going to have to go to places that somebody doesn't think you should go or doesn't think it's worth going. Uh, I catch that at the pyramid thing. I can't say all the pastor friends I have are so saintly, but uh, sometimes I, I have been kind of alluded to, you know, isn't that a waste of time? And, and right away they want to know the numbers. Well, how many of you read? I, I have... I have no idea. I said, if I think about that, I could get discouraged, and uh, that can be overwhelmed. I just pray by God's grace that uh, um, I don't see categories, that one person's life isn't necessarily worth as much as another. You want to be available. You've got to go through Samaria sometimes. You've got to go to the places that God lays before you as an opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, Look at uh, verse 6 of chapter 4. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Down verses 17 and 18. I have no husband, the woman replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands, and the man you are now, now have is not your husband, What you have just said is quite true. Not only are we going to be going to places, but we're going to be dealing with situations that don't nicely fit in the church setting. There's circumstances and there's situations that people have found themselves in that probably feel as if I can't go to church because they're not going to accept me And I can't even go out to get water in daylight because my culture has even shunned me. Here's a woman that has to come in the heat of the day when normally my understanding is most people go in the morning. They get their water, but she has to kind of do it secretly, privately. The point is that you and I, if we're going to reach and minister to people, sometimes we've got to do it on their schedule and not ours. I'll tell you, that is hard for me because I am always on the move and always going here, and I like to ultimately decide when I'm going to do this and what I'm going to do that. But I'll tell you what, there's times I can clearly tell you I'm I'm in a hurry, I'm up at Home Depot, and I want to get in and out. I know which lines are the fastest registers. I know which, I got it all planned out. And there comes somebody I haven't seen in a while, 
and they ask me the question, how are you doing? And they start telling me about their life, and I'm like, Jesus, why can't you just let me share my life? Let them come to church, and I'll tell them about Jesus. You know, rather than share their life, this, just a little story the other day was over there because this one guy that I see him all the time, I know his first name, he knows my first name, and I simply said, how are you doing? He said, I had my daughter at Pittsburgh Children's Hospital. And I'm thinking, I'm in a hurry, Lord, but it's okay. And he told me, went on, and I'm thinking, wow. But this is what happens all the time in each and every one of our lives as people begin to just share a little bit of, of the, the, their lives that they carry and the burdens and you know, we're on a time schedule of our own, and, and so to reach out people is, is sometimes hard because when they want to talk, they want to talk, and when, when they're ready, they're going to be ready, and we've got the, the evangelism planned down to a, a little booklet, you know, we, we've got it all, and we say the, all the right verses and do all the right things and get them to pray the right prayer, and Jesus is saying, forget about the four months. Right now, the harvest is in front of you. And even though you didn't close the deal today, you have just set that person up for someone else who might come along and get the credit. Is that okay with you, Terry? Yes, it is. The hard work, many times, is to be involved in the process and not worry about whether you get to close the deal. Would you set up someone show them about Jesus, point them in the direction. And then somebody else says, you never believe it. I said one little word to this person and they came to faith. And you're like, I just spent five years with that person. The harvest, the harvest. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus has uh, put together and webbed together. And if anything, it's an encouragement I trust to realize it's not the big things that we ultimately uh, do. It's not the, the, the big plans we have. And we as a church have attempted to try to connect to the city and minister to the city in many creative ways, and those are good things. But when somebody walks by and somebody stops in and somebody goes in your yard or your work, it all is part of the hard work. Faithfully, patiently, ministering, encouraging, asking people how they're doing, connecting with them. We trust one day the ultimate harvest will be settled. It's so true that the experiences that people go through, they draw a conclusion ultimately. Either there's a God who loves and they've seen him at work in your life and mine, or there is no God of love because they have no evidence. We trust will be part of that a marvelous plan. Uh, one more thought I want to mention. We'll look in uh, uh, verse 12 of John 4. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, drank from it himself, as did all his sons and his flocks and herds? Well, that's a little humorous. They're talking to Jesus, and of course we know who he is. But they're going on about how great the well is. And they get down to, his sheep drank there. And I'm thinking, 
does that make the well any greater? The point I have as we look at scriptures there and a couple other things she mentioned is that many times we, in sharing our faith, you ever get in one of those little debates? You know, I want to fix people. I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes have a problem. I want to debate about some of their ideas, their spiritual beliefs, their whatever. And, and uh, I, I've realized that I can damage more than I can help by questioning whether or not they think that well has any special waters or whatever. Does it have any secret powers? The beauty is that if you and I can tolerate where people are at and simply build upon it rather than trying to break it down, if they believe that there's something beautiful about this or something beautiful about that, then I simply just trust God, take me from there and, and move me on. Uh, one of those early experiences uh, when uh, I was first uh, a Christian or first pastoring in Allentown is there were plenty of people come knocking on your door and they're going to convert you. And I found it interesting that I think they knew I was a pastor. You know, it's connected to the church and everything else. And uh, yet they're, they still want to convert me. They want to convert everybody else. They come to the door and uh, right away, I, you know, I'm, we get in this debate. And it didn't take long for me to realize that I'm not helping anybody here. And they're, they're not helping themselves. But when I began to simply just share my life story about how God has begun to change my life, I got a lot further, and I asked them how God's changed in their life. Because sometimes people are caught within the web of belief systems that they're not even sure what those really mean. But this woman is holding to those beliefs. She's been taught these things. She's been introduced. She makes an interesting statement later on. When the Messiah comes, or when the Christ comes, he'll explain everything. Jesus says, I'm he. Her idea ultimately was that everything that she has been taught ultimately will get figured out in the end. Jesus says, today's the harvest. Working with people where they're at, listening to them, whether they're spiritual beliefs or whether they're just the web of a mess of their lives, being there, at the moment, not necessarily trying to feel as if the only thing that matters is a yes to Jesus. Ultimately, it's a yes to who you are, probably before there's a yes to who he is. The harvest is now, and we have many opportunities to reach out right where we're at in very small ways and simple ways. They may not seem to close the deal, but they certainly have set the tone for the next person and the next person and the next person. Father, we humble, humbly come before you because we must confess that we may have minimized the value of the little conversation, the little bit of time we took. We may have lost sight of the beauty that we didn't say a thing, but we cared. Bring us back to the place where we love you and trust you enough that you'll do what you are able to do. We pray that we'd be faithful in prayer, we'd be diligent in familiarizing ourselves with the truths that we might have a listening ear to be led, but help us to not be so convinced 
we always need to go somewhere else to do the job. Let us be faithful right where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.